Mark 10 and verse 13, we have that account that is found in each one of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's actually only one of the three texts. In the whole New Testament, that we actually find an imperative or a command given to us regarding children. Like I said before, that's not to say there isn't other areas in the New Testament where we can find instruction for our children. In fact, we can find that instruction everywhere. But we only have three direct commandments in all of the New Testament given us with regards to children. And we've looked at the others. But here we find again the imperative of our Lord. Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let, and there is your imperative, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Well, brethren, we've come to the end. Eleven sermons. This is the eleventh in our parenting series. I know that I myself have been challenged. And I hope you have. I've been convicted. I mean, I have seen some areas that I definitely needed to give attention to. And I hope you have as well. I hope you have. But parents, if I leave you with something in this series, I hope you will be dissatisfied with yourselves. I hope you will be discontent. And I don't say that to discourage you or frustrate you. But I know this. I know that there is a godly discontentment that tends to, to spur us forward. Because you know when you become complacent, when you become satisfied, when you believe that you've arrived at the mark, what, what happens? The growth stops. You don't pursue to go any further. And I hope you've been challenged during this series. But I hope that it's not going to stop here. I hope that this will be a continual process and progress in your life as mothers and fathers. And those of you that will be mothers and fathers, I want you to grow. I want you to press forward. I don't want you to be content. I don't want you to be satisfied. Yes, we should be content with God's dealings with us. We should be satisfied with the providential dealings in our life. We should be satisfied with what God does. But we should never as Christians be satisfied in this life with what we are. And so I don't want you to be. I don't want you. There's not a parent here that cannot excel beyond where you are. Not one of you. The best parent here can, can improve in, in numerous places. Numerous. 
And so we want to keep pressing forward. And you better believe it. The souls of your children ride on this, folks. They do. They ride on this. Just as much as the preaching of the Gospel is important in the bringing in of sinners, just as much as that is integral to making disciples, so your parenting is with your children. Folks, men and women are not going to be saved where the Gospel isn't preached. And in the same way, your children's souls ride on the way you parent them. Okay. Now, I hope you guys, I know it probably seems like, well, Brother Tim, he went off and he, he's done messages. You probably can't even remember what all the ten messages so far have been on. You know, you probably know, you probably can remember some things. He went here and he went there. And I want to try to wrap it up today because I started somewhere. And I don't know if you remember where I started. If I can take you back, you know... Maybe you guys have long ago lost sight of this, but we were actually at one time going through the book of Luke. You remember that? And what happened? I'll tell you what happened. We got to the end of chapter 2, and I began to look at Christ as a child. And I saw He was full of wisdom. And I began thinking, don't the Proverbs everywhere tell us that we need to be instilling wisdom in our children? Doesn't the Father in the Proverbs do that? I thought, yes. So what Christ was as a child is what our children ought to be as children. And then I read a little further. And I found that it grew in favor with God and man. And you know what? I went right back to the book of Proverbs and I found out where the father there was exhorting his son to be a certain way and to have a certain character that he might be in favor with God and man. And I thought, that's, that's incredible. What Christ was is what we ought to be directing our children to be. And I went on a little further. He was in the temple with the teachers. And he had an amazing understanding. And I got to thinking, doesn't the Father in Proverbs tell children not only to, to, to follow after wisdom, but to follow after knowledge and understanding as well? And I'm thinking again, wow, he has. You know what? When his, when his earthly parents came to him, he said, what have you done this to us for? He said, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business or in my father's house? And I'm thinking, isn't that exactly what we're guiding our children to do? To be about the things of God? And then it says, Christ went and he submitted himself to his parents. And that immediately in my mind took me right over to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents. I mean, I saw there he was what our children need to be. Biblically. And so I, I got thinking. Wow. You know what? With everything Christ is, God seeks His preeminence in every single area. It's just incredible. Even when it comes to hanging a model before our children. We're supposed to say, children, look at Christ. And I just became convinced of this. Christ-likeness is absolutely the goal of our parenting. That is the mark for which we aim. You and I as parents have no greater goal in our parenting than to seek to conform our children to the image of Christ. But, guys, 
What I, what I want to do is, is I want to look at the fact that I believe bringing them to Christ. You know how Christ said, bring the little children unto me? He, he said, don't stop them. Don't keep them back. You, keep, you have them come unto me. And folks, I believe it plays into this so perfectly. And I want to show you. You guys, think with me. Think with me about this. And I don't, I, you know, I just don't think very often we think of parenting in this light. But come, come back with me and think about we as Christians. Now, I'm not talking about our children anymore. I'm talking about you and I as Christians. Think with me. You come into God's Word, and one thing that we see, it, this, folks, is a truth that we just cannot go wrong on. God saves men and women, and He has an agenda. And it is to take those fallen, depraved, filthy, wretched sinners and to make all things new. You know, Christ, this world is fallen, and Christ, His, His purposes are to make all things new. His purposes are to triumph at every point. And that is His agenda in the lives of, the, of Christian people. Every one of us. God is on this agenda to conform you and me to the image of Christ. Can anybody think where it says that? Can anybody think about where it says in the Bible that God has not only ordained, but He's predestined us? Romans 8. You guys, before you had a thought in your head or your parents had a thought in their heads about you before you were a sparkle in your father's eye, as some will put it, God had determined that you would be conformed to the image of Christ before this world even began. That is His purpose. He sent Christ to renew a people, to restore a people, to make them... Not only pure, I mean so much so that He would say we are going to have the very image of His Son. Predestined it. This thing about Christianity didn't fall into your life by accident. God had you in His sights from way back before the foundations of the earth and before that. In eternity past, He saw you. And His purpose all along and all that He has done has led up to this point. To conform you to that image. But I want to remind you of something. We are not idle in this process. We are not bystanders. Guys, think with me here. In John's first epistle, we are told one of the most precious truths in the Scriptures. It combines two realities that make heaven heaven. 
There's no greater two things that a Christian has to look forward to in this life than the two things that are mentioned here. We are told that we are going to see Christ. That's the first thing. And we are going to be like He is. No more sin! And we're going to see the love of our hearts. But now, folks, John doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that those of us that have that hope, what hope? To see Him and be changed into His image, those that have that hope are going to demonstrate that hope a certain way. How do they demonstrate it? By purifying themselves as He is pure. In this lifetime, we aggressively are going to strive after Christ-likeness. God gives us a desire. We are going to be doing it. And folks, John is dealing very black and white here. Very much saved and lost. You know, he doesn't beat around any bushes in that book. He doesn't give you any middle ground to walk on. He is telling you what true Christianity is, and he's telling you what it is to be lost. And he lays it out on no uncertain terms. And he says here, he identifies, folks, this is what characterizes a child of God. If they have that hope, they will show that hope by purifying themselves here. Now, yes, folks, God ordained it in eternity past. And God is working in your life to bring that to pass. But His very working in your life is going to be demonstrated by that very desire in your own heart. And that very compulsion in your life to pursue after this thing. Did not Christ say, it's enough to be like the Master. It's enough to be like the Teacher. That's enough, folks. There's no, there's no greater. There's no higher. That's enough. Yes, it's enough. We all say it. Oh, if I could be like Him. That's, that's our great grief here. How many tears have we wept because we're not like Him yet? Our sins beset us here and they grieve us here. Wretched man that I am, it wells up within us. But you guys... I want you to understand something. When it comes right down to practically how God does this, we are told in the Word of God. And one of the most precious texts and one of the most applicable and one that I want you guys to constantly have upon your minds, especially as we start the book of Luke, comes from 2 Corinthians in chapter 3 and verse 18. Because right at this point, Although God ordains it in eternity past, although we have a desire and we show that hope in perfecting ourselves and striving in that direction and working out our salvation, yes, and purifying ourselves, yes, and, and Christ can set up that standard. And how many times has He called us to follow Him? And we are told, folks, that... You know, if we say that we're in Him, if we say we belong to Him, if we say we're a Christian, we need to walk like He walks. And the Scripture says, folks, if you don't keep the commandments, you claim to be in Him, you claim to abide in Him, and you don't keep His commandments, and there isn't a striving after the will of God in this life, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. But you know, when you boil it all down, God is working this out very powerfully in our life a certain way. 
His Spirit of God is doing something. He is operating in the life of believers in such a way to bring about this image of Christ in God's people. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, As we behold His glory. As we behold the glory of Christ. From one degree to another. We bet, folks, we just don't get there in a moment in this life. It's by degrees. But as we view Christ, as we behold the image of Christ, and He doesn't walk the streets anymore. We see Him in the Word of God. That's where we go. That's where we observe Him, especially in the four Gospels. He's there in His brilliance and His glory. And as we go there and we look at Him, if, if, if you're not there, I want you to see this text. I want you to drink it in. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Look with me, brethren. Look, I want you to be persuaded that this is fact, that this is truth. This is the way God conforms His people into His image. If you don't have the desire to be like Christ, the truth isn't in you. And when you have that desire to be like Him, you will desire to see Him. And as you see Him, the Spirit of God, read the text, folks. Read it for yourself. Do you have it there? And we all, and he's speaking Christian terms here, folks, not all the people in the world, but we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Folks. I am so expectant that in the, the months ahead, as we go through the book of Luke, we are going to be transformed into the image of Christ 10,000 times more than if Charles and I preached endlessly on the Ten Commandments. And I'm not knocking law, and I'm not knocking rule and precept at all. Because, folks, if you don't keep His commandments, the truth isn't in you. There is a place for that. But I'm saying, when you want to think about law, look at Christ. Look at how He walked. Look at what He did. Look how He carried it out. And we look there and we look there and we look there. And somehow, in the supernatural operations of the Spirit of God, He takes that image as we see it and He so works it in our life that we become like Him. This... You know, there's a, there's a human side where we purify ourselves and there is a divine side where the Spirit of God is busy conforming. Now, what I want to do is apply this to children. Because here's the thing. I am convinced that the Word of God would not only teach us that Christ-likeness is the goal of the disciple, but Christ-likeness is the goal that we ought to have for our children. 
That needs to be the mark and the model that we aim at as parents. And you know, folks, I just don't believe that it can be argued biblically. I believe that the aim of our Christian parenting needs to be Christ-likeness in our children. We, what we want, Christ said, let the little children come to me. We want to bring them to Him so that they might be changed by beholding Him just as we are being transformed by beholding Him. Oh, brethren, the parents in Mark 10, they, they wanted their children to be touched by Christ. That's what I want. I want us to take our children to Christ over and over, constantly, always taking them to Christ. Because, folks, I want Christ to touch my children. I want that. I desperately want that. Father, Father, has that not been the desire of your grandparents for your children and for your grandchildren that Christ would touch them? We can say, Lord, please touch our children. Touch them. Guys, I don't want you to minimize the importance Connected with the transforming power of beholding Christ. Think with me. This works itself out in the Scriptures. Moses, Lord, show me your glory. The Israelites didn't even want to look at Him for fear of the glory that shone off His face. And folks, if you think about it, that very truth that we have there in 1 John 2 is this. Or 1 John 3, rather. It's this. When we see Him, we will be like Him. Do you make the connection? It's seeing Him in His full radiance that is going to perfect us. There is something about viewing Christ that is life-changing. You know, when Christian, when you say, you know, I, I, I have all this sin, I have all this garbage, there's sins I just can't seem to conquer and get over in my life. You know what? My counsel to you is run to Christ and behold Him because that will solve those problems. That changes. That transforms. That does it. It's not so much the law we need to stare into as the unobstructed view of Christ and Christ alone as the basis of our hope. Folks, you know, the law is good. Duty is good. Obedience is good. But we want to never get to the place where we so overly emphasize all those things that we lose sight of Christ in all of His glory. We must see Him, brethren. We must. And at the same time, we must bring our children to see Him also. Now, you guys, if you've been thinking at all, this creates a problem. I know it does. It creates a problem in our thinking. And I want to challenge you with this. Because I know where some of you are. I mean, I, I feel this. You guys, on one hand, you've got, you've got the folks out there that hold the, their covenant theology. If you're not aware of what all that is, there's, 
you know, especially when you get into a lot of the parenting materials, you're going to find folks out there who their parenting strategy is basically this way. They look at their children as children of the covenant. They're in. And they deal with them as though they are Christians. I am not advocating that. I am not. But, in, in, but on the other hand, folks, what, what can happen so often, especially, and I emphasize this to you before, as first generation Christians, you know what we do? We look at our own life, we realize we ran in the dregs of sin for half our lives, and then God in His mercy reached out and plucked us out. And so we can almost fall into the error where we'll just let our kids run wild. You know, tell them, well, God's sovereign, and if He decides to save you, one day He's going to save you, and just, you know, push them out there, let them run like we ran. We'll leave it up to God's sovereignty. But folks, that's not right either. That's not truth. That's not good. That's not what God calls us to. But there's, there's a temptation, is there not, to say, how can I lead my children to Christ, to view Him, and think that they're going to be transformed into the image of Christ if they don't have life? Am I not somehow getting the cart before the horse here? Shouldn't I just simply preach to them about, about faith and repentance, faith and repentance, faith and repentance? And, and don't worry about all that other stuff. Don't worry about teaching my children about courting. And don't worry about teaching them about the dangers of television. Don't worry about all that. Don't worry about spanking them. Don't worry about instructing them. Don't worry about training them until at first we get them saved. But folks, listen to me here. Are we told to raise, bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? Or the discipline and the warning of the Lord? Or the training or the nurture and admonition? Depending on what translations you have. But aren't we told to do that? Well, we are. If God tells us to bring up our children in a disciplinary way, not only just any discipline, remember, it's the discipline of the Lord. Well, if we're to bring up our children in the discipline of the Lord, I would have you remember something. You tell me why the Bible says we should discipline our children. Or maybe I should ask you another. Well, I can take you back to the Proverbs and say, well, it drives foolishness out of the heart. It does, it does all sorts of things. Sets them in the right way. But you know, when you come over to the New Testament, you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, you know what you find that the discipline of the Lord is all about? That we might take upon ourselves His holiness and be partakers of the fruits of righteousness. Do you know why God would have us discipline our children? Somebody might say, well, to show them there's consequences for sin. And I don't doubt that. But folks, the main reason God says discipline of the Lord is meted out is to produce righteousness. Now, let me ask you this. As you discipline your children, you are trying, are you not, to drive evil out of their lives? And if you're trying to drive evil out of their lives and you're trying to produce righteousness in their lives, who is that like? Or what is that like? Is that not like Christ? Let me ask you guys. Do you spank your children for anything in your child that is like Christ? How do you spank them for things that are not like Christ? Because you want them to be like Him. I mean, if you think about it practically, folks, you already know 
that to some degree you're striving for a standard of righteousness. Now, folks, something else. Training. We know that that word discipline there in Ephesians 6 has... It's a broad term. It has to do with the full training or the full nurturing. The full upbringing of our children. But you think about that. Training. To train. You know, it's, it's, we don't use this much anymore, but there was a day when they might say, they might say something like this. Train the guns on the fort. The idea of that is aim the guns. You guys know that when you train, you have an object in view. There is a goal you set. If I'm trying to train my dog to do something, it's because I have a standard that I want that dog to conform to. Right? You go into the military, they dis- there's discipline there. What are they striving after? Well, they have some model. They have some standard that they want to conform the men to. Folks, when we train our children, it's the same way. What? I mean, ask yourself, what is the aim? If you say righteousness, if you say it's to eradicate sin, well, who is it that had no sin in their life? Who is it that was righteous? Folks, you go back to the Proverbs. What does the father in Proverbs say to his son? He says, son... Walk in my ways. Walk in my ways. Well, Christians, what are your ways? What ways are you walking in? You see, in the Scriptures, you have the Father in the Proverbs telling His Son, follow me, Son. Walk in my way. Follow in the path that I'm in. Come in this direction. And that's the way of Christ. If you're a Christian, you know, parents, one of the important things is that you be a godly person because you want your children to imitate you. And think with me if you are being conformed to the image of Christ, what is it that they'll be imitating? I mean, again, Christ becomes the focal point. We talk about the word for instruction. It has the idea of warning in it or admonishing and how important that is to do with our children. On the positive end, you train them. On the negative end, you warn them. But folks, do you ever warn your children away from that which is Christ-like? I never have. Not in my children. I hope you don't. We warn them away from characteristics that we would quickly say found in Christ. See, folks, what I want to do is establish this beyond any shadow of a doubt in your minds that Christ's likeness is that goal. And get past the thinking, well, my child's not saved. I realize most of them are not. But still, continue to aim there. Continue. Continue. And I already told you guys about Luke chapter 2. I mean, the things you find there describing Christ as a child are the very things that you find throughout the Word of God we ought to be instilling into our children. Think with me about obedience. Do you want your children to be obedient? 
You ought to. Children, obey your parents. Christ was submissive to his parents. You want the example? You want to show your children what, what you want to show your children what they ought to be like? Run them right over to Christ and show them. Say, children, we want you to be like him. He submitted. He was wise. Your little ones. We were at a Pizza Hut the other day. And there was a little boy at the front of the restaurant. And I watched him, and his mom or his father father wanted him to do something, and he said, No! 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 And I thought, wow. That's you take that and you develop it fully. And that's exactly what that sinner says. I will not have Christ to rule over me. No! As they're cast away. That rebellion in our children. Parents. Parents. And I see this sometimes. I can't, I can't think of a specific instance right off. Nothing comes to my mind. But I know. I have seen and I've heard some of the children around here tell their parents no. Parents. Don't. 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 Conform your children to the image of Christ in that. Use the rod. The rod reaches the heart, folks. The rod reaches the heart. The proverb says it drives folly out of the heart. Don't think you can't reach it. By God's help and His power, you can. Don't let your child go in that way. You know why? Because when the claims of Christ come down to them and He says, forsake all that you have, they're going to say, no, no, no. Don't, don't let them do that, parents. You're not loving your children when you let that happen. You're not loving them. You're not. You're not. Folks, I want us to get away from this idea, this temptation. And it is a temptation. And it's a dangerous one. Satan comes along beside us and he says, Oh, you parent. Oh, you parent. And he's not doing anything. Look at your children. Look at them. This isn't doing any good. Don't you believe that, Pastor? Don't you believe the things in there? Your child's not saved. You can't do any good. You just wait. You don't do anything. God's going to save them. He'll save them one day. But you just, you just lighten up. Don't, don't get so radical about this. Don't do this. You don't need to do that. If God's going to save them, they're going to be saved. And then they'll be out of my grasp and, and I'll never be able to get them again. But He knows. He knows. And He'll try to discourage you. Look at all of your efforts. Look where it's got you. You can't do this. You're a failure as a parent. Why do you even try? Your children aren't saved. And you know you felt those temptations. You know they've come. You feel like you're there stuck car in the mud or in the snow and you're spinning your wheels and you're not going anywhere. Folks, don't back off. Don't back off. 
don't back off. Give yourself heartily to discipline. Give yourself heartily to instruction. Warn those children. Warn them. Warn them. Love them. Bring them to Christ. Read them the Scripture. Have them memorize the Scripture. Keep on them. Follow them. Seek to conform them to Christ. Give them instruction. Give them teaching. Give them education. Lead them. Point them constantly, constantly, constantly. Warn them over here. Warn them over there. Get, give them that model. Show them Christ. Bring them to His feet. Bring them over and over and over. Mother, I know you've called upon the Lord to save your children and you've cried out and you've cried out and sometimes you feel like you're nigh unto despair. Why isn't God saving my children? Why doesn't He do it? But you know what? Don't you buy into that unbelief. It is not practicality, folks, that would lead you to fall off and drop away from parenting this way. It's unbelief. It might seem like a practical thing to stand back and wait for God to save them before you try to conform them to the image of Christ, but it isn't biblical. And you don't think that way when it comes to a garden. You don't think that way when it comes to a field. You wouldn't say, I'm just going to sit back and wait till God brings corn up out of the field. Yes, it's a miracle that the seeds germinate. Yes, it's a miracle that they grow. It's a miracle that the rain comes and the sun shines. But you know what? You still go out there and you faithfully plow that field and you plant that seed. Because your faith is in the God who has the power to save those children. Oh, parents, don't give up. I know. Folks, God is hearing our prayers. God is hearing us. You keep going. You keep pressing. You keep moving. I know you want God to save your children. I know it's caused you some frustration that God has not done it yet. I feel that same. I feel it in my children. Sometimes I feel desperate. Lord, I don't want them to perish. I don't. I want them to be vessels for Your glory. I want them. Father, please. But I want to remind you of something, parents. God has called us to raise the dead. He told the church, maybe you never saw this as such, but this text constantly is a struggle for me. It's the Great Commission. Make disciples. Win souls, the Old Testament says. Have you ever thought about that? Lord, how, how can I make... Make disciples and baptize them and teach them. I mean, Lord, aren't you forgetting something in there? Don't you have a part to play in there? How can I just go make disciples? You know what? It's, it's, right, on the, it's right on the level of, think about it, Peter telling us, desire the sincere milk of the Word or the pure milk of the Word. Have you ever thought about that? Wow, how do I do that? How do I make myself desire something I don't desire? It's kind of the same. Go out and make disciples. You know what? When God gives you a command, you say, yes, Lord, and you go in faith to do it, believing that where He gave a command, He's going to give the power for you to bring that forth. Amen. He calls us to raise the dead, folks. He does. And, and It's just the same with our children. 
We know the basic truths. We know the basic facts. If any one of you believe that your child are by nature pretty good, I hope you don't think that. Don't ever flatter your children with this idea that there's some innate goodness in them. Or you look at your child and say, you know, they're good at heart. No, they're not good at heart. They're not. There is none righteous. There's none. Not even your children. Dead in trespasses and sins is what the Scripture says. Children of wrath. Sons of disobedience. That identifies your child and that identifies my child. Yes, yes, yes. We understand the dilemma of our situation. We realize that they are dead. And folks, salvation belongs to the Lord. We understand that. We understand that we're not born of bloodlines. We're not born... They're not born of our exertions. In Romans 9... 16, it says it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Someone may say, aha, I knew it. I knew the salvation of my child doesn't depend on any of my exertions. My parenting doesn't really matter after all, does it? It's not according to my exertions. But let me just remind you of something. There was a woman and she was dead. She made a lot of clothes for some poor people. You remember who that was? Tabitha. She lay dead in the city of Joppa. But what happened? Was there all of a sudden just magic flew in the air and she rose up from the dead? I'll tell you what happened. Some people went and they got an apostle named Peter from another city and they called him there. And they had him come. And you know what he did? He dropped down on his knees beside that bed and he prayed. And then he rose up and he said to Tabitha, Arise, Tabitha! Now, why did all that need to happen? I thought it was God who raises from the dead. Well, it is. But I'll tell you what, if you ever said Peter raised from the dead, you'd be right too. Because he did. He went there. And I'll tell you what, Tabitha never rose from the dead before he got there. He never, she never rose from the dead before he said, Arise, Tabitha. It didn't happen. I can tell you about a young man that fell out of an upstairs window. You know what? He didn't hit the ground dead and then bounce right back up on his feet. It wasn't until the apostle came down, grabbed him up in his arms, and life came back in him. Right. I can tell you about another young man lived way back in time, before the Old Testament, or in the Old Testament days. Remember the prophet Elisha went there. He spread his body on top of him. He breathed into him. He let his body warm him. Did God raise him from the dead? Absolutely. Did Elisha raise him from the dead? Here's the point, folks. If Elisha wouldn't have done what he did, Peter wouldn't have done what he did, Paul wouldn't have done what he did, those dead people would not have arisen. And it's the same way. Yes, it's God who brings spiritually from the dead. But I'll tell you this, if we don't preach the gospel, they're not going to come from the dead. Didn't Peter or Paul himself say, call upon the name of the Lord and they'll be saved. But how are they going to call? Folks, they're not going to call unless they got a preacher out there preaching. And unless that preacher's been sent to where they are to preach that gospel to those people who need to believe, they're not going to rise from the dead. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I'm telling you as parents, if your children are going to come to Christ, God's going to use you. And you direct them and you steer them towards that mark. 
And don't you let up. And don't you give way to Satan's temptations. And he will tempt you. He will tell you you're not doing any good. But you set Christ in that mark and you take your children to Him. And you know what? He's going to touch them. I'll tell you this. The day's coming and His touch is going to begin to fall upon some of our children. We're going to see it, folks. You just keep bringing them and you keep bringing them and you keep bringing them. And that will come. And I'll tell you what, as much as you bring them and you bring them and you bring them, as you bring them to Christ, and this is where you're going to find Him, and you bring them to the foot of that cross, and you have them gaze up there, and bring them there again and again. Because, folks, your children aren't going to come to Christ any other way than we did. And it's through the cross. There's salvation only in one. And there is one way. And you teach your children that way. And you take them there. And you set their eyes upon the cross again. And you explain to them about, you explain to them about substitutionary atonement. Explain it. It's not too high for children. You can put it in terms they understand. You show them. Not only. Yes, this is the model. You show him, my son, you don't measure up to this model. And it's not just a defect, it's not just an inability, it's sin, it's guilt. You are guilty, my son, my daughter, you are guilty, you are a rebel. And look at the look at the slain Savior, look at him, look at him. Yes, he's the model. But He also earned a righteousness. Look at Him as He walked through this life. Look at Him as He obeyed His Father all the way to death. Look at Him. So have your children set their eyes upon Him. Bring it to life for them, folks. Parents, bring them to life. Not some dead story. Not some dry thing. Show Him Christ in all of His glory. Show Him that there is a, there's a preciousness there. There is a life there. There is glory. There is something that emanates from Christ that is life-giving. Take them there. Again and again and again. Teach them. Show them. My children, this shed blood, there is no other way to God than by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Take them, take them, take them, take them. You see, folks, I have been interweaving all these things. And I want you to see where it all comes to. When you take that child and you set him down and you spank them. My son, here is the standard. My son, You don't meet this standard. We all fall short of the glory of God, but my child, you specifically fall short. You specifically need to be saved. Take him to Christ as an example. Take him to Christ as a model, but take him to Christ as a Savior. Because with all of His modeling, if they have Him not as Savior, they'll be damned no matter what morality has worked out in their life. Parents,
seek. Keep going. Strive. Plead with God. Take this promise and come to Christ and say, Lord, You told me. You said, let my children come. I've been bringing Him, Lord. I've been bringing Him. I've been bringing Him. I've been bringing Him to You. Lord, I open the Word of God and I show them to You. I brought them to You, Lord. You said to bring them. But Lord, You haven't touched them yet. You haven't touched them. Lord, I'm reading Your Word. Where the parents brought them and You touched them. You bless them. Lord, touch my children. Bless them. Please, Lord. Please. Father, we pray. Lord, allow our children to receive the divine touch. Lord, we read in Your Word that it was by faith that Abel offered the better sacrifice. It was by faith that Moses refused to be called by the, the household of Pharaoh, but rather join himself to the people who were slaves. It was by faith that Abraham departed and went, we know not where, into a land. It was by faith, Lord. I pray that it would be by faith that we would strive forward and parent our children, lead them to You as we train them to show them You. Train them, show them the cross. Relate everything to the cross. Everything. Relate sin to the cross. Relate saints to the cross. Relate the loss to the cross. Relate the wrath of God to the cross. Relate all of history to the cross so that our children might see it is central, it is the focal object all things revolve around it. All things point to it. You, your, the work of Christ, the life of Christ, the perfections of Christ, the death of Christ. Christ absorbing the wrath of God. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Amen. Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm fearful to stop. But I know we must move forward. I just pray, Lord, we would be parents that would be more pleasing to You. Somehow I pray that we have grown and that we will grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.